Thank you, Bob and Maureen. Are we doing okay? It's hot in here, isn't it? Are you worrying about how long this sermon might be? Yes, I thought so. I will try really hard not to speak for very long, despite it being quite a complicated passage, and just draw a few thoughts for us today. Thank you for hanging in with us um, today on such a hot day. So as I've said, we are in week five of this series, Roadmap for Life. It's been good so far, each week looking at the story of the people of Israel as they've journeyed through the desert. They've been freed from uh, slavery and they were on their way, winding their way slowly to the land that God had promised them. And as I said, we're thinking about the truths that we can learn about God, about the way that he led his people and how that relates to us in our journey of faith. We have been set free. We haven't been set free from Egypt, but we have been set free from sin, slavery to sin. We have been promised this land ahead of us, eternal life, uh, an eternity that awaits us, this glorious promised future. And like the Israelites, we can experience the presence and the provision and the journeying of God with us on this journey. So far, we have looked at uh, these uh, topics so far in our series Encounter, direction, provision, and choices. And today we're thinking about victory. Well, victory is a timely concept to be thinking about right now. This time last Sunday, we had the anticipation of this. I was thinking to myself, we didn't engineer it this way, but I've got victory. The Sunday after, England are in the World Cup final. What a great sermon that will be. Not quite as I anticipated not engineered in the slightest, I promise you. This time last week, we were on the brink, it felt like, of a historic victory, one that we didn't end up winning in the end. But uh, pride, nevertheless, in the men's football team. I don't know what happened in your household, but we really got into the um, Euros in our family. You know, we had the wall chart. It's all about the wall chart. Uh, filling in the wall chart, tracing the draw, trying to work out every eventuality of the journey towards the final. Really exciting for us uh, each match. Now, we didn't win in the end, but there were victories along the way to get us to the final. Now, there were loads of illustrations for talks that you could give from the journey of the England football team to European finalists. You could talk about the way that a team works together. You could, could talk about how key the manager is. You could talk about the power of the crowd. You could talk about skill and ability, facing disappointments and learning through it. But I'll tell you what struck me as I was thinking about um, this passage and mulling on the story of Joshua and having football also in my mind. And it made me realize again that the anticipation of possible victory is the thing that's so compelling and so energizing. It's the build-up that is sometimes as energizing, if not more so, than the game. In fact, the game can be agonizing, actually. And sometimes it's the build-up and the anticipation that is so much more positive. And it's not just football, if that's not your thing. Anything competitive, really. If you think you might win, if there is the prospect of victory in your sights, that changes everything. It changes how you feel, it changes your mindset, it changes your behavior, your hopes, your ambitions. And that's a helpful thought as we think about the people of Israel facing what is basically an insurmountable wall and then being victorious. What difference did the anticipation and actually the expectation of victory do for God's people? 
So we're looking at this passage, the story of the walls of Jericho falling down. The people of God have continued on their journey. They've already been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. They've crossed the Jordan. It's in their sights. They reach this significant obstacle. Joshua chapter 6, the first part of it that was read for us. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred. Why? Because of the Israelites. So Jericho was locked up because the people of God were there. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, make the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So we're told that the gates to Jericho are tightly shut because of the Israelites. They've got a mountain to climb, an insurmountable wall, because of their presence. And God tells Joshua this crazy plan, which will give the people victory. They're to march around the city once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, march around it for seven times, and then when the army raises a shout, it will collapse. Now, it sounds utterly bonkers, but the people do what God says, and spoilers, you know the story, it comes to pass as God says it will, and they have the victory. Part and parcel of the Christian life is walking with Jesus and is navigating the obstacles that get put in our way. What are our insurmountable Jericho walls? What is it that is in front of us and stopping us from seeing a way forwards? This season of COVID over the past 16 months has had more than its fair share of what feels like insurmountable walls. I would suggest walls of uncertainty and anxiety, locked up gates impacting relationships and family and jobs and community. And what I want to do is just draw out three brief lessons from this story, <clears throat> asking what it looks like to live in God's victory in the face of obstacles. How do we live a victorious life? What even is a victorious life in the face of an insurmountable wall? And the first thing to say is it's to do with trusting in God's past tense promise. If you look at verse 2, Joshua says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Now, they haven't got the victory yet. They're looking up at this wall, this locked up gate. But the promise that God gives them is that it's already happened. He says, I have delivered. God is assuring them of what's in the future that is already taken care of by a promise that he's already given to them. This story is referred to in the New Testament. The people are listed among many that had acted by faith. Hebrews 11 verse 30. By faith, it says, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched round them for seven days. By faith, the people demonstrated deep confidence in the past tense promise of God. Now, surely their natural human selves would have told them something completely different. But they had a promise from God to hold on to. And if we want to live in victory, it is about holding fast to promises that have already been given to us. 
And the Bible is full of them. When God tells Moses back in Exodus, when he says he wants Moses to be the one to lead him to the promised land, Moses says to God, who will go with me? And this is God's promise to Moses, Exodus 33. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. We're saying to ourselves, what's the future? What does it look like? Who's going to help us? God says, my presence will go with you. What a promise for Moses and for us. When Moses dies and Joshua becomes the new leader, God promises him. He says, I was with Moses. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. And Joshua 1 verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. We might say the same thing. Who and how? How's it going to happen? And God says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. Maybe God has given you a particular promise in the past. Some of us have got promises, scriptures, verses that have resonated with us in the past that we hold on to, that we can call to mind when we need them. Maybe we need to hold on to these sorts of promises here that God says to us, my promise, my presence will go with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. When COVID first hit back in March last year, I um, started saying in those really early days, it was so turbulent, wasn't it? We didn't know what we were doing at home and homeschooling and our kids and church and how things were going to be. And I started to say um, in those very early days, one day at a time, one day at a time. I didn't realise that I would still be saying one day at a time, 16 months later. But I felt like actually that was a promise that God gave to me. I felt like God said to me, I will give you what you need each day. What does he promise us? Promise to us? It's daily bread, isn't it? Grace for each day. And I'm still saying that now. It's my mantra still now. One day at a time, God's promised to me. He will help me, lead me, give me what I need each day. Daily bread. What does victory look like for you, for me today? In part, it is about holding on to the past tense promises of God. It is also about obedience when it doesn't seem to make any sense. Obedience when it makes no sense. Trusting in the past tense promise of God and obedience when it makes no sense. The whole of God's plan, it must have, it must have sounded absolutely crazy to Joshua, but he passed on God's instructions to the priests and then to the people, if you look at verses 6 and 7, it says they had to carry the trumpets with the ark of the Lord around the walls for six days and then repeat that on the seventh day with a shout. It's a two-hour walk from Gilgal up to Jericho and back. It's a fair old walk. What were the people thinking about as they trudged up there each day? No battle had ever been won in this way. And yet round they marched. It was an act of faith. And it was also an act of obedience. Throughout scripture, we see a God who fights for his people in ways that don't make sense in our human understanding. There are so many examples of that. He got victory for Gideon, using only 300 men. He used David, little David, to fight Goliath with just a stone and a sling. He gave victory to Jehoshaphat by confusing the enemy. There are lots of other examples. When people look in on the outside to us as Christians, I imagine they might look at our lives of following Jesus and think that that is crazy also. 
trusting our lives to a God we can't see, choosing love and truth and faithfulness over self-centeredness and bitterness. Why would we do that? One of the things I love so much about the baptism video that you saw there um, was that those people became Christians without even coming into this building. You know, getting baptised under here in this little swimming pool, you know, that's all great and everything. You can't go for a swim afterwards. Um, but actually for those three, this, this build, it wasn't this building or being in this building. And this building's brilliant and meeting together is brilliant and it's important. But they found faith in Jesus, the, vi- the victory of eternal life in Jesus, apart from coming to gathered Sunday church. And they declared their faith out in the sea by being baptised. And baptism is an act of obedience. It's saying, I am going to declare that the future's unknown. You might think I'm mad to do this, but I'm going to put my faith in an unseen God because I've come to believe that his promises are true and I want to be obedient to him. Sometimes we may well doubt and wonder why we have trusted God. Sometimes our own lives might feel like they don't make very much sense and we wonder what God is doing. And those are the times to choose obedience. That's where victory is found. Whatever is happening for you and for me today, obedience and trust is always the right and the helpful choice. And finally, and just briefly, victory is about discipline, when it's the last thing that you feel like. When you hear teaching about God's victory, there's a large bit of us, well, there's a large bit of me, that would love this to be about the incredible supernatural miracles, you know, the answers to prayer that just drop into your lap without you even having to lift a finger. And that sometimes is the case, and we can thank God for that, and I have experienced those at times. But more often, victory with Jesus is about walking in the small decisions. For the people of Israel, there was trust and there was obedience, but there was also discipline. Joshua commands the people not just to do the whole you know, crazy marching around the walls thing, but also before the seventh day to be completely silent while doing it. Look at verse nine. The armed guards marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until that day I tell you to shout. Then shout. They had to keep quiet. That's not easy. That would have required discipline. Following all the instructions that Joshua gave right down to that final shout required discipline. I wonder why. Why would that have been? I wonder whether talking would have have probably led to dissension and disagreement. We don't read in our passage of any negative spirit or disbelief or discouragement amongst the people. Discipline is a key and underrated ingredient in victory. Discipline is part of the life of a follower of Jesus. What is a disciple? It's a learner, an apprentice. We learn from the master by doing what he did. Victory in the daily decisions, the choices we make to love him, to follow and to serve, to build in good habits and practices, to be disciplined about when we speak, what we fill our minds with, habits, practices that will help us. We can pray that God would help us to live empowered lives, spirit-filled lives, disciplined lives, 
And then we might see the breakthroughs and God acting on our behalf in remarkable ways. We're going to pray and listen to a song as a, a final response in a moment. But just as we close, just have a look in verse 21 about what happens. It's God that gets all the glory. It says in verse 21, they devoted the city to the Lord. After the victory, it's him that got the glory. It was his battle. He was victorious. It's about him and not about us. Trusting in the past tense promises of God. Obedience when it makes no sense. And discipline when it's the last thing that you feel like. These are some of the ways to face our insurmountable Jericho walls. And it is the Lord who gets all the glory.